Section 4 of The Georgics, A Poem of the Land, by Virgil, translated by James Rhodes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Georgic 4 Of air-born honey, gift of heaven, I now take up the tale. Upon this theme no less look thou, Messenus, with indulgent eye. A marvellous display of puny powers, high-hearted chiefs, a nation's history, its traits, its bent, its battles and its clans. All, each, shall pass before you while I sing. Slight though the poet's theme, not slight the praise. So frown not, heaven, and Phoebus hear his call. First find your bees a settled shore abode, Where neither winds can enter, Winds blow back the foragers with food returning home, Nor sheep and budding kids tread down the flowers, Nor heifer wandering wide upon the plain dash off the dew, and bruise the springing blades. Let the gay lizard, too, keep far aloof his scale-clad body from their honeyed stalls, and the bee-eater, and what birds beside, and Procne, smirched with blood upon the breast from her own murderous hands. For these roam wide, wasting all substance, or the bees themselves strike flying, and in their beaks bear home, to glut those savage nestlings with the dainty prey. But let clear springs and moss-green pools be near, and through the grass a streamlet hurrying run. Some palm-tree o'er the porch extend its shade, where huge-grown oleaster that in spring, their own sweet spring-tide, when the new-made chiefs lead forth the young swarms, and, escaped their comb, the colony comes forth to sport and play. The neighboring bank may lure them from the heat, or bow befriend with hospitable shade. O'er the mid-waters, whether swift or still, cast willow branches and big stones enough, bridge after bridge, where they may footing find and spread their wide wings to the summer sun. If haply Eurus, swooping as they pause, have dashed with spray or plunged them in the deep, and let green cassias and far-scented thymes and savory with its heavy-laden breath bloom round about, and violet beds hard by sip sweetness from the fertilizing springs. For the hive's self, or stitched of hollow bark, or from tough osher woven, let the doors be straight of entrance, for stiff winter's cold congeals the honey, and heat resolves and thaws, to bees alike disastrous. Not for naught so haste they to cement the tiny pores that pierce their walls, and fill the crevices with pollen from the flowers, and glean and keep to this same end the glue that binds more fast than bird-lime 
or the pitch from Ida's pines. Oft, too, in burrowed holes, if fame be true, they make their cozy subterranean home, and deeply lodged in hollow rocks are found, or in the cavern of an age-hewn tree. Thou not the less smear round their crannied cribs with warm smooth mud-coat and strow leaves above. But near their home let neither yew-tree grow, nor reddening crabs be roasted, and mistrust deep marish ground and mire with noisome smell, or where the hollow rocks sonorous ring, and the word spoken buffets and rebounds. What more? When now the golden sun has put winter to headlong flight beneath the world, and oped the doors of heaven with summer ray, forthwith they roam the glades and forests o'er, rifle the painted flowers, or sip the streams, light hovering on the surface. Hence it is with some sweet rapture that we know not of, their little ones they foster, hence with skill work out new wax or clinging honey mold. So when the cage-escaped hosts you see float heavenward through the hot, clear air, until you marvel at yon dusky cloud that spreads and lengthens on the wind, then mark them well, for then tis ever the fresh springs they seek and bowery shelter. Hither must you bring the savory sweets I bid, and sprinkle them, bruised balsam, and the wax flowers lowly weed, and wake and shake the tinkling cymbals heard by the great mother. On the anointed spots themselves will settle, and did wanted wise seek of themselves the cradle's inmost depth. But if to battle they have hied them forth, for oft twixt king and king with uproar dire fierce feud arises, and at once from far you may discern what passion sways the mob, and how their hearts are throbbing for the strife. Hark! The hoarse brazen note that warriors know chides on the lordiers, and the ear may catch a sound that mocks the war-trump's broken blasts. Then in hot haste they muster, then flash wings, sharpen their pointed beaks and knit their thews. And round the king, even to his royal tent, throng rallying, and with shouts defy the foe. So, when a dry spring and clear space is given, forth from the gates they burst, they clash on high, a din arises, they are heaped and rolled into one mighty mass, and headlong fall, not a denselier hail through heaven, nor pelting so rains from the shaken oak its acorn shower. Conspicuous by their wings, the chiefs themselves press through the heart of battle and display a giant spirit in each pygmy frame. Steadfast no inch to yield till these or those the victor's ponderous arm has turned to flight. Such fiery passions and such fierce assaults a little sprinkled dust controls and quells. And now both leaders from the field recalled, 
Who hath the worser seeming, due to death, Lest royal waste wax burdensome? But let his better lord it on the empty throne. One with gold-burnished flakes will shine like fire. For twofold are their kinds, the nobler he of peerless front and lit with flashing scales, that other, from neglect and squalor foul, drags slow a cumbrous belly. As with kings, so too with people, diverse is their mould, some rough and loathly, as when the wayfarer scapes from a whirl of dust, and scorched with heat spits forth the dry grit from his parched mouth. The others shine forth and flash with lightning gleam, their backs all blazoned with bright drops of gold symmetric, this the likelier breed. From these, when heaven brings round the season, thou shalt strain sweet honey, nor yet so sweet as passing clear and mellowing on the tongue the wine-god's fire. But when the swarms fly aimlessly abroad, disport themselves in heaven and spurn their cells, leaving the hive unwarmed, from such vain play must you refrain their volatile desires. Nor hard the task, tear off the monarch's wings. While these prove loiterers, none beside will dare mount heaven, or pluck the standards from the camp. Let gardens with the breath of saffron flowers allure them, and the lord of Hellespont, Priapus, wielder of the willow scythe, safe in his keeping hold from birds and thieves. And let the man to whom such cares are dear himself bring thyme and pine trees from the heights, and strow them in broad belts about their home. No hand but his the blistering task should ply, plant the young slips, or shed the genial showers. And I myself, were I not even now furling my sails, and nigh the journey's end eager to turn my vessel's prow to shore, perchance would sing what careful husbandry makes the trim garden smile. Of pestum, too, whose roses bloom and fade and bloom again. How endives glory in the streams they drink, and green banks in their parsley and how the gourd twists through the grass and rounds him to paunch. Nor of Narcissus had my lips been dumb, that loiterer of the flowers, nor supple-stemmed Acanthus with the praise of ivies pale, and myrtles clinging to the shores they love. For neath the shade of tall Ebalia's towers, where dark Galasus laves the yellowing fields, an old man, once I mind me to have seen, from Coricus he came, to whom had fallen some few poor acres of neglected land. And they, nor fruitful neath the plodding steer, meat for the grazing herd, nor good for vines. Yet he, the while his meagre garden herbs among the thorns he planted, and all round white lilies for veins, and lean poppy set, in pride of spirit matched the wealth of kings. And home returning not till night was late, 
with unbought plenty heaped his board on high. He was the first to cull the rose in spring, he the ripe fruits in autumn. And ere yet winter had ceased in sullen ire to rive the rocks with frost, and with her icy bit curb in the running waters, there was he plucking the wraith-faint hyacinth, while he chid a summer's slow footsteps and the lagging west. Therefore he too with earliest brooding bees and their full swarms o'erflowed. And first was he to press the bubbling honey from the comb. Lime trees were his, and many a branching pine, and all the fruits wherewith in early bloom the orchard tree had clothed her, in full tale hung there by mellowing autumn perfected. He too transplanted tall ground elms a row, time-toughened pear, thorns bursting with the plum, and plain now yielding serviceable shade for dry lips to drink under. But these things, shut off by rigorous limits, I pass by, and leave for others to sing after me. Come, then, I will unfold the natural powers great Jove himself upon the bees bestowed, the boon for which, led by the shrill sweet strains of the curetes and their clashing brass, they fed the king of heaven in Dicta's cave. Alone of all things they receive and hold community of offspring, and they house together in one city, and beneath the shelter of majestic laws they live. And they alone fixed home and country know, and in the summer, warned of coming cold, make proof of toil, and for the general store hoard up their gathered harvesting. For some watch o'er the victualling of the hive, and these by settled order ply their tasks afield, and some within the confines of their home plant firm the comb's first layer. Narcissa's tear, and sticky gum oozed from the bark of trees, then set the clinging wax to hang therefrom. Others the while lead forth the full-grown young, their country's hope, and others press and pack the thrice-repured honey, and stretch their cells to bursting with the clear-strained nectar sweet. Some, too, the wardship of the gates befalls, who watch in turn for showers and cloudy skies, or ease returning laborers of their load, or form a band, and from their precincts drive the drones, a lazy herd. How glows the work! How sweet the honey smells of perfumed thyme, like the cyclops, when in haste they forge from the slow-yielding ore the thunderbolts. Some from the bullside bellows in and out let the blasts drive. Some dip in the water trough the sputtering metal, with the anvil's weight groans Etna. They alternately in time with giant strength uplift their sinewy arms, or twist the iron with the forceps grip. Not otherwise, to measure small with great, the love of getting planted in their breasts goads on the bees that haunt old Kekrop's heights, each in his sphere to labor. 
The old have charge to keep the town, and build the walled combs, and mould the cunning chambers. But the youth, their tired legs packed with time, come labouring home belated, for afar they range to feed on arbutes and the grey-green willow leaves, and cassia and the crocus blushing red, glue-yielding limes, and hyacinths dusky-eyed. One hour for rest have all, and one for toil. With dawn they hurry from the gates, no room for loiterers there. And once again, when even now bids them quit their pasturing on the plain, then homeward make they, then refresh their strength. A hum arises. Hark! They buzz and buzz about the doors and threshold, till at length, safe laid to rest, they hush them for the night, and welcome slumber laps their weary limbs. But from the homestead not too far they fare, when showers hang like to fall, nor east winds nigh confide in heaven, but neath the city walls safe circling fetch them water, or essay brief outgoings, and oft weigh up tiny stones, as light craft ballast in the tossing tide, wherewith they poise them through the cloudy vast. This law of life, too, by the bees obeyed, will move thy wonder, that nor sex with sex yoke they in marriage, nor yield their limbs to love, nor know the pangs of labor, but alone from leaves and honeyed herbs, the mothers each gather their offspring in their mouths, alone supply new kings and pygmy commonwealth, and their old court and waxen realm repair. Oft, too, while wandering, against jagged stones their wings they fray, and neath the burden yield their liberal lives. So deep their love of flowers, so glorious deem they honey's proud acquist. Therefore, though each a life of narrow span, ne'er stretched to summers more than seven, befalls, yet deathless doth the race endure and still perennial stands the fortune of their line, from grandsire unto grandsire backward told. Moreover, not Egyptus, nor the realm of boundless Lydia, no, nor Parthia's hordes, nor Median Hydaspes, to their king do such obeisance. Lives the king unscathed, one will inspires the million. Is he dead? Snapped is the bond of fealty. They themselves ravage their toil-wrought honey, And rend amain their own combs waxen trellis. He is the lord of all their labor, Him with awful eye they reverence, And with murmuring throngs surround, In crowds attend, oft shoulder him on high, Or with their bodies shield him in the fight, And seek through showering wounds, a glorious death. Led by these tokens, and with such traits to guide, some say that unto bees a share is given of the divine intelligence, and to drink pure draughts of ether. For God permeates all earth and wide ocean 
and the vault of heaven, from whom flocks, herds, men, beasts of every kind, draw each at birth the fine essential flame, yea, and that all things hence to him return, brought back by dissolution, nor can death find place, but each into his starry rank alive they soar, and mount the heights of heaven. If now their narrow home thou wouldst unseal, and broach the treasures of the honey-house, with draught of water first torment thy lips, and spread before thee fumes of trailing smoke. Twice is the teeming produce gathered in, twofold their time of harvest year by year. Once when Teget the Pleiad uplifts her comely forehead for the earth to see, with foot of scorn spurning the ocean streams. Once, when in gloom she flies the watery fish, and dips from heaven into the wintry wave. Unbounded, then, their wrath. If hurt, they breathe venom into their bite, cleave to the veins, and let the sting lie buried, and leave their lives behind them in the wound. But if you dread too rigorous a winter, and would fain temper the coming time, and their bruised hearts and broken estate to pity move thy soul, yet who would fear to fumigate with time, or cut the empty wax away? For oft into their comb the newt has gnawed unseen, and the light-loathing beetles crammed their bed, and he that sits at others' board to feast the do-not drone or against the unequal foe swoops the fierce hornet, or the moth's fell tribe, or spider, victim of Minerva's spite, athwart the doorway hangs her swaying net. The more impoverished they, the keenlier all to mend the fallen fortunes of their race will nerve them, fill the cells up, tier on tier, and weave their granaries from the rifled flowers. Now, seeing that life doth even to bee-folk bring our human chances, if in dire disease their body's strength should languish, which anon by no uncertain tokens may be told, forthwith the sick change hue, grim leanness mars their visage, then from out the cells they bear forms reft of light and lead the mournful pomp or foot to foot about the porch they hang, or within closed doors loiter, listless all from famine, and benumbed with shriveling cold. Then is a deep note heard, a long-drawn hum, as when the chill south through the forests sighs, as when the troubled ocean hoarsely booms with back-swung billow as ravening tide of fire surges, shut fast within the furnace walls. Then do I bid burn-scented gobanum, and honey-streams through reeden troughs instilled challenge and cheer their flagging appetite to taste the well-known food, and it shall boot to mix therewith the savour bruised from gall, and rose-leaves dried, or must to thickness boiled by a fierce fire or juice of raisin-grapes from Scythian wine, and with its bitter smell centauri, 
and the famed Cecropian thyme. There is a meadow flower by country folk height starwort. Tis a plant not far to seek, for from one sod an ample growth it rears, itself all golden, but girt with plenteous leaves, where glory of purple shines through violet gloom. With chaplets woven hereof full oft are decked heaven's altars, harsh its taste upon the tongue. Shepherds in vales smooth-shorn of nibbling flocks by Mela's winding waters gather it. The roots of this, well seethed in fragrant wine, set in brimmed baskets at their doors for food. But if one's whole stock fail him at a stroke, nor hath he whence to breathe the race anew, tis time the wondrous secret to disclose, taught by the swain of Arcady, even how the blood of slaughtered bullocks oft has borne bees from corruption. I will trace me back to its prime source, the story's tangled thread, and thence unravel. For where thy happy folk, Canopus, city of Pelian fame, dwell by the Nile's lagoon-like overflow, and high o'er furrows they have called their own skim in their painted wherries, where, hard by, the quivered Persian presses and that flood which from the swart-skinned Ethiop bears him down, swift-parted into sevenfold branching mouths, with black mud fattens and makes Egypt green. That whole domain, its welfare's hope secure, rests on this art alone. And first is chosen a straight recess, cramped closer to this end, which next with narrow roof of tiles atop, twixt prisoning walls they pinch, and add hereto from the four winds four slanting window slits. Then seek they from the herd a steer, whose horns with two years' growth are curling, and stop fast, plunge madly as he may, the panting mouth and nostrils twain, and done with blows to death, batter his flesh to pulp in the hide yet whole and shut the doors and leave him there to lie but neath his ribs they scatter broken bows with thyme and fresh pulled cassias this is done when first the west winds bid the waters flow ere flush the meadows with new tints and ere the twittering swallow buildeth from the beams Meanwhile the juice within his softened bones heats and ferments, and things of wondrous birth, footless at first, anon with feet and wings, swarm there, and buzz, a marvel to behold, and more and more the fleeting breeze they take, till, like a shower that pours from summer clouds, forth burst they or like shafts from quivering string, when Parthia's flying hosts provoke the fray. Say what was he, what god, that fashioned forth this art for us, O muses? Of man's skill whence came the new adventure? From thy veil, Penaean temp, turning, be bereft, so runs the tale, by famine and disease. 
Mournful the shepherd Aristeus stood fast by the haunted riverhead, and thus with many a plaint to her that bare him cried, Mother, Cyrene, mother, who hast thy home beneath this whirling flood? If he, thou sayest, Apollo, lord of Thymbra, be my sire, sprung from the gods' high line, why bearest thou me with fortune's ban for birthright? Where is now thy love to me word banished from thy breast? Oh, wherefore didst thou bid me hope for heaven? Lo, even the crown of this poor mortal life, which all my skilful care by field and fold, no art neglected, scarce had fashioned forth, even this falls from me. Yet thou call'st me son. Nay, then, arise. With thine own hands pluck up my fruit plantations. On the homestead fling pitiless fire. Make havoc of my crops, burn the young plants, and wield the stubborn axe against my vines. If there hath taken the such loathing of my greatness. But that cry, even from her chamber in the river deeps, his mother heard. Around her spun the nymphs, Milesian wool stained through with hyaline dye. Drymo, Xantho, Lygia, Philodose, their glossy locks o'er snowy shoulders shed. Sidip, and Lycorius yellow-haired, a maiden one, one newly learned even then to bear Lucina's birth-pang. Cleo, too, and Barreau, sisters, ocean children both, both zoned with gold and girt with dappled fell, Ephyra and Opus, and from Asian meads Diopio, and, bow at length laid by, fleet-footed Arethusa. But in their midst fair climbing was telling o'er the tale of Vulcan's idle vigilance, and the stealth of Mars' sweet rabbin, and from chaos old counted the jostling lovejoys of the gods. Charmed by whose lay, the while their woolly tasks with spindles down they drew, yet once again smote on his mother's ears the mournful plaint of Aristeus. On their glassy thrones amazement held them all. But Arethusa before the rest put forth her auburn head, peering above the wave-top, and from far exclaimed, Cyrene, sister, not for naught scared by a groan so deep, behold, tis he, even Aristeus, thy heart's fondest care, here by the brink of the Penaean sire stands woe-begone and weeping, and by name cries out upon thee for thy cruelty. To whom, strange terror knocking at her heart, Bring, bring him to our sight, the mother cried. His feet may tread the threshold even of gods. So saying, she bids the flood yawn wide and yield a pathway for his steps. But the wave arched mountain-wise closed round him, and within its mighty bosom welcomed, and let speed to the deep river-bed. And now, with eyes of wonder gazing on his mother's hall, and watery kingdom, and cave-prisoned pools, and echoing groves, he went, 
and, stunned by that stupendous whirl of waters, separate saw all streams beneath the mighty earth that glide. Phasis and Lycus, and that fountainhead whence first the deep Enipaeus leaps to light, whence Father Tiber, and whence Aeneo's flood, and Hypanus that roars amid his rocks, and Mysian Cacus, and bull-broed twixt either gilded horn Eridanus, than whom none other through the laughing plains more furious pours into the purple sea. Soon as the chamber's hanging roof of stone was gained, and now Cyrene from her son had heard his idle weeping, in due course clear water for his hands the sisters bring, with napkins of shorn pile, while others heap the board with dainties, and set on afresh the brimming goblets. With pancangan fires upleap the altars. Then the mother spake, Take beakers of Maconian wine, she said, Pour we to Ocean. Ocean, sire of all, she worships, And the sister-nymphs who guard the hundred forests And the hundred streams. Thrice Vesta's fire with nectar clear she dashed, Thrice to the rooftop shot the flame and shone. Armed with which omen she essayed to speak. In Neptune's gulf Carpathian dwells a seer, Cerulean Proteus, he who meets the main With fish-drawn chariot of two-footed steeds. Now visits he his native home once more, Pelene and the Amathian ports. To him we nymphs do reverence, I, and Nereus old, for all things knows the seer, both those which are and have been, or which time hath yet to bring. So willed it Neptune, whose portentous flocks and loathly sea calves neath the surge he feeds. Him first, my son, behoves thee seize and bind, that he may all the cause of sickness show, and grant a prosperous end. For save by force no reed will he vouchsafe, nor shalt thou bend his soul by praying, whom once made captive ply with rigorous force and fetters. Against these his wiles will break and spend themselves in vain. I, when the sun has lit his noontide fires, when the blades thirst and cattle love the shade, myself will guide thee to the old man's haunt whither he hies him weary from the waves, that thou mayst safelier steal upon his sleep. But when thou hast gripped him fast with hand and gyve, then diverse forms and bestial semblances shall mock thy grasp, for sudden he will change to bristly boar, fell tigress, dragon scaled, and tawny tufted lioness, or send forth a crackling sound of fire, and so shake off the fetters or in showery drops anon dissolve and vanish. But the more he shifts his endless transformations, thou, my son, more straightlier clench the clinging bands. Until his body shape return to that thou sawest, 
when with closed eyelids first he sank to sleep. So saying, an odor of ambrosial dew she sheds around, and all his frame therewith steeps throughly. Forth from his trim-combed locks breathed effluence sweet, and a lithe vigor leapt into his limbs. There's a cavern vast scooped in the mountainside, where wave on wave by the wind's stress is driven, and breaks far up its inmost creeks, safe anchorage from of old for tempest-taken mariners. There within, behind a rock's huge barrier, Proteus hides. Here in close covert, out of the sun's eye, the youth she places, and herself the while, swathed in a shadowy mist, stands far aloof. And now the ravening dog-star that burns up the thirsty Indians blazed in heaven, his course the fiery sun had half devoured. The blades were parched, and the void streams with droughty jaws baked to their mud-beds by the scorching ray, when Proteus, seeking his accustomed cave, strode from the billows. Round him frolicking the watery folk that people the waste sea sprinkled the bitter brine-dew far and wide. Along the shore in scattered groups to feed the sea-calves stretched them, while the seer himself, like herdsmen on the hills when evening bids the steers from pasture to their stall repair, and the lambs bleeding wets the listening wolves, sits midmost on the rock and tells his tale. But Aristaeus, the foe within his clutch, scarce suffering him compose his aged limbs, with a great cry leapt on him, and ere he rose forestalled him with the fetters. He, Nathless, all unforgetful of his ancient craft, transforms himself to every wondrous thing, fire, and a fearful beast, and a flowing stream. But when no trickery found a path for flight, Baffled at length, to his own shape returned. With human lips he spake. Who bade thee, then, so reckless in youth's hardihood, affront our portals? Or what wouldst thou hence? But he, Proteus, thou knowest, of thine own heart thou knowest. For thee there is no cheating. But cease thou to practice upon me. At heaven's behest, I, for my fainting fortunes, hither come an oracle to ask thee. There he ceased, whereat the seer, by stubborn force constrained, shot forth the gray light of his gleaming eyes upon him, and with fiercely gnashing teeth unlocks his lips to spell the fates of heaven. Doubt not tis wrath divine that plagues thee thus, nor light the debt thou payest. Tis Orpheus's self, Orpheus unhappy by no fault of his, so fates prevent not, fans thy penal fires. Yet madly raging for his ravished bride, she in her haste to shun thy hot pursuit along the stream, saw not the coming death, whereat her feet kept ward upon the bank in the tall grass a monstrous water-snake. 
but with their cries the dryad band her peers filled up the mountains to their proudest peaks wailed for her fate the heights of rhodope and tall pangea and beloved of mars the land that bowed to rhesus thrace no less with hebrus's stream and orithia wept daughter of act old but orpheus's self soothing his love pain with the hollow shell thee his sweet wife on the lone shore alone thee when day dawned and when it died he sang nay to the jaws of taenarus too he came of dis the infernal palace and the grove grim with a horror of great darkness came entered and faced the manes and the king of terrors the stone heart no prayer can tame then from the deepest depths of erebus wrung by his minstrelsy the hollow shades came trooping ghostly semblances of forms lost to the light as birds by myriads hide to greenwood boughs for cover when twilight hour or storms of winter chase them from the hills matrons and men in great heroic frames done with life service boys unwedded girls youths placed on pyre before their father's eyes round them with black slime choked and hideous weed cochitis whines there lies the unlovely swamp of dull dead water and to pen them fast sticks with her ninefold barrier poured between nay even the deep tartarian halls of death stood lost in wonderment and the eumenides their brows with livid locks of serpents twined even cerberus held his triple jaws agape and the wind hushed ixion's wheels stood still and now with homeward footstep he had passed all perils scatheless and at length restored eurydice to realms of upper air had well nigh won behind him following so proserpine had ruled it when his heart a sudden mad desire surprised and seized meet fault to be forgiven might hell forgive for at the very threshold of the day heedless alas and vanquished of resolve he stopped turned looked upon eurydice his own once more but even with the look poured out was all his labor broken the bond of that fell tyrant and a crash was heard three times like thunder in the mirrors of hell orpheus what ruin hath thy frenzy wrought on me alas and thee lo once again the unpitying fates recall me and dark sleep closes my swimming eyes and now farewell girt with enormous night i am borne away outstretching toward thee thine alas no more these helpless hands she spake and suddenly like smoke dissolving into empty air passed and was sundered from his sight nor him clutching vain shadows yearning sore to speak thenceforth beheld she 
nor no second time hell's boatman brooks he passed the watery bar what should he do fly whither twice bereaved move with what tears the mains with what voice the powers of darkness she indeed even now death cold was floating on the stygian barge for seven whole months unceasingly men say beneath a sky-eye crag by thy lone wave strymon he wept and in the cavern's chill unrolled his story melting tigers hearts and leading with his lay the oaks along as in the poplar shade a nightingale mourns her lost young which some relentless swain spying from the nest has torn unfledged but she wails the long night and perched upon a spray with sad insistence pipes her dolorous strain till all the region with her wrongs o'erflows no love no new desire constrained his soul by snow-bound tenaise and the icy north far steps to frost repayan forever wed alone he wandered lost eurydice lamenting and the gifts of dis ungiven scorned by which tribute the sisonian dames amid their awful bacchanalian rites and midnight revellings tore him limb from limb and strode his fragments over the wide fields then too even then what time the hebrus stream egrian hebrus down mid-current rolled rent from the marble neck his drifting head the death-chilled tongue found yet a voice to cry eurydice ah poor eurydice with parting breath he called her and the banks from the broad stream caught up eurydice so proteus ending plunged into the deep and where he plunged beneath the eddying whirl churned into foam the water and was gone but not cyrene who unquestioned thus bespake the trembling listener nay my son from that sad bosom thou mayst banish care hence came that plague of sickness hence the nymphs with whom in the tall woods the dance she wove wrought on thy bees alas this deadly bane bend thou before the dell nymphs gracious powers bring gifts and sue for pardon they will grant peace to thine asking and an end of wrath but how to approach them will i first unfold four chosen bulls of peerless form and bulk that browse to-day the green lycaean heights pick from thy herds as many kind to match whose necks the yoke pressed never then for these build up four altars by the lofty fanes and from their throats let gush the victim's blood and in the greenwood leave their bodies lone then when the ninth dawn hath displayed its beams to orpheus shalt thou send his funeral dues poppies of lathe and let slay a sheep coal-black then seek the grove again and soon for pardon found adore eurydice with a slain calf for victim 
no delay. The selfsame hour he hies him forth to do his mother's bidding. To the shrine he came, the appointed altars reared, and thither led four chosen bulls of peerless form and bulk, with kind to match that never yoke had known. Then, when the ninth dawn had led in the day, to Orpheus sent his funeral dues, and sought the grove once more. But sudden, strange to tell, a portent they espy. Through the oxen's flesh, waxed soft in dissolution, hark, there hum bees from the belly. The rent ribs overboil, in endless clouds they spread them, till at last, on yon tree-top together fused, they cling, and drop their cluster from the bending bows. So sang I of the tilth of furrowed fields, of flocks and trees, while Caesar's majesty launched forth the levin bolts of war by deep Euphrates, and bare rule o'er willing folk though vanquished, and essayed the heights of heaven. I, Virgil, then, of sweet Parthenope, the nursling, wooed the flowery walks of peace inglorious, who erst trilled for shepherd whites the wanton ditty, and sang in saucy youth. End of Georgic Four. End of The Georgics A Poem of the Land by Virgil Translated by James Rhodes And read by George Emerson